This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. I don't know if you guys are believers in big things happening in threes. Uh, you know, show of hands, doesn't really matter. If we did believe me and Darren, I'm sure Kyle would not believe. But even so, may I cite that so far in 2021, if you're scoring at home, yes, we did land on Mars. Yes, alas, unfortunately, Kim and Kanye are getting a divorce. (laughs) And yes, we can confirm J.J. Watt is still an Arizona Cardinal. Hello and welcome to Cardinals Underground. Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, all brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Let that wash over you, Darren, just in case you needed to remind yourself, because did we not a year ago at this time with DeAndre Hopkins, you'd have to remind yourself several times per week, if not per day, hello, D-Hop is an Arizona Cardinal. Well, same deal all over again with J.J. Watt. Well, there's, there's a little bit of a difference, Paul, and that is at this point last week you or last year, you would have the conversation with yourself of, oh, that's right, DeAndre Hopkins is an Arizona Cardinal. But then you also, for a number of weeks, had the conversation, oh, God, he hasn't taken his physical yet. This trade is not yet official. Oh, God, will the Texans back out of this? That cannot happen here. J.J. Watt was on the market. Uh, I was in the building when he signed the contract. <laughs> And that's a done deal. So the difference is there is there's absolutely no chance this could fall through. And there was that that little nagging thing, which I believe you continue to bring up a, a lot uh, because you apparently can't uh, deal with something like that last year, Paul. So if I recall correctly. Well, once again, I, you know, I couldn't give, where is it? Here it is, the trophy. I couldn't quite <laughs> award, you know, Bill O'Brien, the Cardinals team MVP award. And the Cardinals winning the offseason until it was officially official. And <laughs> did we not all have that pit in the bottom of our stomach, Kyle, that somehow, some way, the Texans would sober up and reverse the trade, which never did happen. Paul, you've always been a huge dot your I and cross your T's guy. I'm glad it became official for you. <laughs> Nothing to worry about now. J.J. Yeah. Watt signed. You, you always thought, like, maybe in the middle of that private jet ride, he might turn around, go back to wherever he was staying, call it off but yes the ink is dry the the signing is official along with the d hop trade that one's official too that's right as somebody who lives by the hashtag no math you're right i'm always buttoned up i mean you know you wouldn't think otherwise based on that but just because we're not into the analytics and the math and the figures doesn't mean by the way kyle keep going the fact that he kept it a secret the fact that uh you know he didn't want anyone to know and that he was the source right me uh, that was the source. Uh, he went to great lengths to protect the secrecy. Uh, break that down for us real quick. Yeah, it's a pretty funny story. He was saying that he he figured out the four or five teams that were the finalists. So he wanted to get shirts of each team so he could do this where he wore it for the Instagram and the Twitter post and he could say where he was going. He was still only a finalist at that point. So he wanted to order not only the Cardinals, but the three or four other teams that were involved. But Actually, a smart move by him. He decided to have his brother's friend do the ordering because he's completely right. If somebody named Watt is ordering a jersey of, let's say, the Bills or a shirt of the Bills or the Browns, you might that's probably going to put up some, uh, some tentacles for the guy who's delivering it or who's fulfilling it. And all of a sudden, they're tweeting it out and breaking the news. So J.J. <laughs> Watt hid his identity and had a, a buddy named Doug or Joe or something order these shirts and then give them to him to wear. Very smart thinking because everybody is a reporter these days and everybody wants to break news, even the Amazon fulfillment guy. Hey. 
and beyond all that, even if it did make it to his porch, there'd be some porch pirate who'd show up <laughs> and he'd rip open the box trying to figure out, okay, what is this all about? And, and it would have, you know, TMZ would have busted it that way. So, you know, you, you absolutely had to take precautions, no doubt about it. That would have been really interesting had like, he was ready to make his decision and then went out to go get the shirts and they didn't exist because the, the porch pirates had stolen his Amazon. <laughs> now that would have been a viral video. You put out the ring video on that one, right? And then boom, some guy's stealing it. Uh, so, you know what? That's our natural segue. Let's just get this out of the way. We'll get some of, the, some of this sidebar stuff out of the way and then we'll really get into what matters here in the Cardinals offseason. Darren, were you offended at all by the fact that number 99 became available? My opinion, thanks for asking real quick. I mean, come on now. It's a number, people, okay? Let's not take it too seriously. And secondly, it's not your number. It belongs to someone else whose daughter gave permission and said, I know my dad real well. I truly believe, sincerely, genuinely believe he'd be honored by the fact that a J.J. Watt was rocking his number so I don't understand some of the blowback that you've seen, especially on Twitter, from people who get indignant and or righteous about a retired number being back in play. I, I understand. To be honest, I understand both sides of the argument. I, I am somebody who kind of feels strongly about retired numbers. I mean, if you're going to go to the length of retiring a number, there's a, there should be a reason for it. That being said, and, and I will say, on that side of it, it's, it'd be tough. And I don't, I'm not saying that this is what happened in this situation, but you know, if TMZ shows up and is asking you, Hey, can this famous football player wear your father's number? It's, it's sometimes it's, it's not always like, Hey, we're not going to, I don't want that to happen. I mean, what are you crazy now? I don't know. I, I think ultimately his daughter was genuine. I think, and, and Kyle got a chance to talk to her, but you know, I, I think she truly believed that her father wouldn't have minded. I do think strongly that one of the reasons you retire a number, in this case, Marshall Goldberg, is because you're trying to honor him for forever. And I would dare say that even with his retired number, 99.9% of the Cardinal fan base doesn't know who he is. And this gave everyone a, a giant chance to know more about him. So I think in this situation, you know, it gave everybody a, a chance to, to revisit Marshall Goldberg and learn what kind of person he was and how he served in the Navy and how he was a star for this team in the 40s. And, and not everybody was going to know that. I mean, this isn't this isn't exactly like when Jerry Rice went to go play for the Seahawks briefly and asked to wear 80 for Steve Largent and Steve Largent, who everybody did remember because he wasn't that long ago of a great receiver himself wasn't thrilled about it, but he kind of felt like he couldn't say no. I think this is a little bit different of a situation. So you actually talked with the family member of Marshall Goldberg, the daughter of Marshall Goldberg. I mean, to me, I don't really see a downside and maybe I'm a little different than you guys, but to Darren's point, think of how much positive attention has been generated. Think of how much awareness has been raised about the life and career of Marshall Goldberg that otherwise no one would have known a thing about. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. I mean, I think if his daughter felt strongly about wanting to keep the number retired and only representing her father, I think that would have made sense to respect her wishes. And I do feel like the way J.J. Watt went about it was important. He gave her a call, even though he saw something from TMZ that said she would be okay with it. He could have said that was good enough for me and just worn the number, but he did reach out to her and she said he was very appreciative on the call. He wanted to make a donation to her father's charitable fund, which was a nice gesture and wants to really honor him more so than just wear the number and forget about him. So I think the way JJ went about it is important where he didn't take it lightly and realized what retiring a number means because hey, in all likelihood, J.J. Watt is getting his number retired or honored by the Texans when his career is over, and it's going to be turnabout maybe in 30 years, you know, so he's going to be in the other position. So I think he realized what that number could mean to a family, and by talking to Ellen, Marshall Goldberg's daughter, I think he really went about it the right way. And, and also, Paul, the, the other part to this um, for, for me is the fact that J.J. Watt, was 
he, he didn't know right away that the number had been retired. He had already committed to the Cardinals when he said a friend of his pointed out 99 was retired. And before the TMZ report and after he had made that decision, JJ said that he was prepared. He once he figured that, figured that out, he was prepared to pick another number. And I, I do believe he's genuine when he was saying that. So, um, you know, I think this was handled well. I again, I understand the people that think he probably shouldn't have taken it. I, I totally understand that, but um, I think there are good reasons uh, to have it happen, ha have it play out the way it did. And if anybody saw the video of Michael Bidwell, the owner, giving J.J. Watt and his wife a tour, an initial tour of the facility, and as they are walking down a long hallway akin to the dining area where there's a number of placards up on the wall marking moments in Cardinals history, I thought it was a really neat moment where they stopped and Michael Bidwell said, hey, here's Marshall Goldberg. There's a live action shot and there was an explanation almost like a museum type display and, and he stepped back and he took a picture of it and he he started to get that understanding of exactly whose number he's going to be wearing and representing. And I mean, you know, Kyle, this won't be the last time Marshall Goldberg gets a mention. So uh, I'm guessing uh, Marshall Goldberg's daughter is going to be real happy with her decision, I presume. Yeah, and it was interesting talking to her. She, I asked her if she's kept up with the Cardinals much, and she said not really. I mean, her, her father last played for them in the 1940s, and she said she knew all about her dad's career but didn't know who J.J. Watt was, had never seen him play. And now she goes, well, if he's wearing 99, now I know who he is. I talked to him on the phone. I'm going to be checking it out when the season starts and, and see him wearing that 99 on the field for the Cardinals. There you go. A brand-new follower of the team. So there you, you know. <laughs> And you know what? As long as we're talking about Watt, and we'll hit Zoom out here in a minute on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and talk about the rest of the offseason. But, guys, I thought it was really interesting, speaking of Michael Bidwell, when he was on Sirius XM NFL Radio, and his comments about, about what he thought the impact of J.J. Watt was going to be. And he said, and I wrote it down here, that the Cardinals felt like this was a great opportunity to get a terrific player, a terrific leader, somebody who's a culture changer and really brings that accountability to the locker room and the weight room, the practice field brings that winning attitude. He's already raised the energy, not only in our facility, but the entire state. So Darren, you know, we, we kicked this around on the last edition of Cardinals underground, just what he does, not only as a player, but in terms of impacting culture, and based on what Michael Bidwell said and then what Steve Kime said and, and Cliff Kingsbury this week reiterated as well, there's going to be an impact, they hope, both on and off the field, right? Uh, yeah. And, and to be honest, Paul, for, for me, most of the time, you know, you're, you're going to pay the top players what they're worth. And, and the top players, ultimately, it shakes out to how they perform on the field. I mean, you could be a great leader, but if you don't perform – excellent on the field you're not going to get you know double digit millions every year that said I do think when you are earning that kind of money regardless of the kind of player you are on the field I do think there's other parts of the game that you must fulfill to to earn that contract and to be considered one of those players and I think that's kind of where J.J. Watt kind of falls and like we were talking about the other day um, you know he's a guy that that helps you on the field and off the field. Now he said, you know, I'm coming here to dominate. He, he would touch on the other things and he kept winding back his comments to saying, don't get this twisted for everything else I'm doing, whether it's in the community or helping teach players or being a leader, I'm here to dominate on the field and get sacks and get tackles for loss and help this team win games that way. But I, I do think this other stuff means something. And I do think he's the kind of guy that can really impact a locker room in that way and that doesn't mean that this team was super sideways like that but the more guys you get like that in the locker room it can only help you well cliff kingsbury kyle saying on thursday uh, about he was asked about what steve kime cited about jj watt and the impact off the field and and cliff kingsbury's words i would say that jj watt has a type of presence where you don't want to let him down and i do think that can be a big component as to where we're headed next season and look, we're all trying to diagnose the two and five finish. And like I said before, I'll reiterate it again. To me, the Cardinals addressed their biggest offseason need. J.J. Watt, 
the player, but also that boost of energy and intensity and urgency that hopefully is an aspect of his infectious personality that will guard against performances, lackluster efforts like week 16. So it seems to me, after hearing from the decision makers, that they have that same thought pattern. I think they definitely value that aspect of it. I feel like I will remain on this island of not putting too much stock into the leadership and culture oh, aspect of the signing. Oh. <laughs> I don't think them struggling down the stretch had to do with the lack of leadership because why would that kick in halfway through the season? Why would you start so well when it's literally the exact same leaders on the team from start to finish? I think teams figured out a lot of the Cardinals run game. I think they had some up and down performances defensively, but I don't look back and say they didn't have the right culture. I think they didn't have a, a, an efficient passing game and their running game started to decrease in efficiency down the stretch. And to me, those are the things you need to fix and getting JJ Watt helps because he can be an elite pass rusher. And that to me is the biggest reason why you're giving him all this money. And it's, it's great to have leaders. And I think people will definitely look to him and try to emulate him. And he's a hard worker. Um, but if he's hurt, it's not his contract. Isn't he's not going to live up to the contract if he plays eight games. So I think it's all about the production on the field more so than any leadership qualities. And it's undeniable. The second half of the season, things changed. Teams adjusted. Cardinals weren't nearly as effective, whether it was the run game, whether it was stopping the run at times, the passing game, obviously, the intermediate passing game in particular. But to me, they had a lack of energy in the week three loss to the Lions. And then it was compounded and got even worse in week four. So the inconsistent energy and intensity and focus was a season-long theme, despite the 2-0 and start, despite the 5-2 and start, the 6-3 and start, that easily could have been better than that, if not for some lackluster efforts in the first half of the season. That's my Kyler, take. Kyler Murray threw three interceptions against the Lions, and to me that is an infinitely bigger factor than – than a lack of intensity in that game. I think if, if he doesn't throw three picks, they win that game. They were the more talented team. You look at the box score, they were the better team. It just happened where he threw three interceptions. I mean, at the end of the game, if he finds a wide open Keyshawn Johnson or whoever it was, Andy Isabella maybe, then they win that game. So I, I think that Lions game completely came down to throwing the picks. Well, so I'll just cite what Cliff Kingsbury told us on his weekly TV show following the Lions loss. And in fact, I have the quote right here. That wasn't us out there, but maybe it'll be the best thing for us going forward. Meaning something was missing. So I, I told you I'm on an Island. Yep. I'm just over here on an Island telling you what I think. Yeah. Look, uh, I'm just looking forward to having that guy back. I, I think what I ended up doing like three radio markets this week uh, did I did an interview with the Niners radio, Seahawks radio, and then Salt Lake City. And I just said the same thing, and Darren, you can agree or disagree here, but the Cardinals have not had that guy on defense that other players truly feed off ever since Calais Campbell and Tyron Matthew. And I think J.J. Watt is that guy. And I think that's one of the reasons they pursued him to such a degree that we they got recruiting efforts from Frank Caliendo and Blake Shelton, that they just went all in on this recruiting effort because I think they truly value that aspect. And they realize that's something missing from the defense and the team in whole, as a whole. I agree that he can be a, a kind of a, a, a lightning rod for that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think these guys have, have rallied around Buda Baker pretty well. When, when Buda was having some of his bigger games, I felt like, the, the rest of the defense was was feeding off him a little bit. But I think when you get a guy up front, that changes some things, as, as well as Hassan Reddick played last year, as, as well as Dennis Gardeck played last year. I thought they were missing a little something that they had the year before when Chandler was wreaking all that havoc in the backfield. And you, you just it, – it, it just – it reminds me a little bit – and again, we'll see what level J.J. Watt plays at. But it reminds me a little bit of anybody on offense. You know, I, I don't think – I don't think the offense in his more salad days was always feeding off Larry Fitzgerald, but when he made big plays, it was easy to kind of get that vibe. And that's, that's kind of where I, I see this going. I, I don't know if they'll necessarily feed off him every play, 
but he is definitely a guy that the energy will be there. And again, I, I get where Kyle's coming quite frankly with the Lions game. I 100% agree. You can't turn the ball over. And that was the biggest problem in that game. But ultimately, I am a believer in, in emotion with part of this. I don't think it all always just boils down to some of that stuff. And I, and I do think these things aren't necessarily um, – uh, it's one or the other. I, I do believe that playing poorly can lead you to making some of these dumb plays like throwing interceptions or running poorly. I do believe in my heart that – you, not, you might not be efficient running the football, but one of the reasons you might not be running efficiently with the football is because as a blocker, you're just, you're, you're, your energy, your, your want to is not there because you're not doing well or you're in a bad mood or whatever it might be. I do believe that that's unquantifiable that can impact some of these numbers that Kyle talks to. So I'm, I'm trying to be a bridge for the two of you so that we can all coexist together. That's good. Good. The, the right, the right, the Red Sea rising tide here. Okay, I, I get that. Uh, well, Darren, uh, this this, this will be a quick answer from you because it was the only quick answer that JJ Watt gave when he met the media, and and it was in response to when he was asked, "How much do you have left in the tank?" Go ahead and paraphrase and or quote exactly if you remember it, <laughs> because was, he was a man of few words. The only answer was only a few words. Uh, was it was it not uh, a lot? A lot. Oh, something like that. It was a lot. And then he paused a whole lot. A whole lot. That's right. I, and I the big thing was he stared right in the camera to do it. Yes. And I know my first reaction was, all due respect to Mark McLuhan, I'm kind of happy I wasn't the one who asked the question because it was like the record scratch a little bit. Like we're all going through this great introductory press conference and he's really verbose on a lot of stuff and he's a great quote and he's well thought out and he's smiling and he's happy. And then Mark's like, hey, yeah, there's a lot of talk about how much gas you have left in the tank. So how much gas you have left in the tank? A lot, a whole lot. And it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Well, I will say this, having done the out-of-market interviews, uh, there's a lot of skepticism as to how much he has left. I'll say that. Um, the prevailing sentiment, listening to some of these out-of-market guys, now consider it's, it's in the division and they might be a little salty in Seattle and San Francisco, but they really wonder about the five sacks last year. Uh, they wonder about the amount paid by the Arizona Cardinals, uh, i.e. overpaid. And, and I responded with this, Kyle, and you, you tell me what else you would have responded. I said, look, if you want to believe some of the analytics, pro football focus since 2018 has the three highest grade edge rushers as Khalil Mack, TJ Watt, and JJ Watt. He was one of two defensive linemen last year to play more than a thousand snaps. He led the league in tackles for loss against the run. And he had the highest percentage of double teams of any defensive lineman in the league. You put him now with a Chandler Jones where they can't get away with that to nearly the same degree. And if you go back to the year he had Jadavian Clowney, he had 16 sacks. And in some of the other years when he came off injury, he had 20 sacks in each of those. So those were, that was some of the evidence I cited. We don't know, obviously. But to get back to his answer, uh, a lot, a whole lot, those numbers would seem to bolster his case. Yeah, I wanted to look at his PFF grades because that, I think that tells you a lot more, more than a, just a sack total. When you got five sacks, it's like Dennis Gardeck had more sacks than J.J. Watt last season. But that certainly doesn't tell you the whole story. And I agree that it seems like he still has a lot left because he's playing at a high level when you look at pressures and, and run defense and all that. Um, and then I, I just think he's a, the type of player where if he, if he gets hurt and misses a few games, to me, that's the bigger concern is the injury history, not at the level he's playing at. Because maybe he's not peak J.J. Watt of age 25, 26 when he's consistently the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. But that's such a ridiculously high ceiling that even if he's a tier or two below that, he's still a Pro Bowl player. If things come together personally, uh, Correctly, I think he could be an all-pro player still because he's 32. He's not 36. Uh, so I, I feel like if he stays healthy, he's certainly still going to be a game wrecker. And obviously the Cardinals think that too, or else they're not giving him that type of money. 
I found it incredibly interesting because this, this did not come up when he talked with us. Um, and obviously he's been a few places, but um, he did a podcast, a short podcast interview. He didn't do a whole podcast. It was, it was like a 10 minute segment, but he talked to Adam Schefter on Adam Schefter's podcast. And this point I have not seen have him having made it anywhere else, but I thought it was really interesting. You know, he's a, he's from Wisconsin. He grew up in Wisconsin. And when he was younger, uh, obviously, um, he was paying attention to the Packers and was a big Packers fan when they signed Reggie White as a free agent. Now, Reggie White, one of the best defensive linemen of all time, um, bounced around a little bit, started in the USFL, you know, went to the Eagles, started dominating. I did not know this, but he did because, you know, JJ turns 32 later this month. When Reggie White signed with the Packers, he was 32 years old. And he obviously had a number of excellent over the top, great seasons with green Bay, including winning a super bowl. Now I, JJ Watt wasn't saying that's exactly what he's going to do. Um, but it is interesting to note that if he can stay healthy, you know, there, there is that possibility. And there are defensive linemen that last a good chunk of time. And, and again, this is a two year deal for the Cardinals, you know, yeah, they paid a lot of money, but if he's a game record for two years, uh, $30 million is going to be, a bargain, quite frankly, if he plays at the level that he thinks he can play at. Yeah, speaking of the numbers, so the financial figures reportedly two years, 31 million total, 23 million guaranteed, a $12 million signing bonus. The base is 28 over two years with then 3 million available incentives predicated on double digit sacks reaching 10 in each of the two years. Uh, what's the cap number though? That's the unknown, isn't it guys? Right, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, we were, he and I, Kyle and I were kind of talking about this offline. You can, if, if it's a truly a two-year deal, uh, what did you figure it out, Kyle, with, based on what we know, it would be about 8-5 this year? Yeah. So if, if it's truly a two-year deal, it could be 8.5 million, which is still a, a, a relatively large chunk if you've only got 11 or $12 million of cap space. However, and this is what we don't know yet because we don't have the actual details to the point that we need them. If you, for instance, you're the Cardinals and you give him all that money and it's two, but it, it's really on paper a five-year contract and it automatically voids after two years, then you can spread that signing bonus over five years and that would appreciably lessen this year's cap especially. And then it would all accelerate in two years after he's done and then all of the rest of the signing bonus would accelerate onto your dead cap. It's the same thing they did with Devondre Campbell this year, where they're going to carry a $4 million cap at this year, even though they probably won't have Devondre Campbell because they wanted to give him $6 million last year and only wanted to take a $2 million cap. Hit. So if we didn't get too far in the weeds until we know the exact contract structure, we're not going to know, but it's very possible that if they use some voidable years in there, the, the number could be as low as, five or six maybe I, and I'm just spitballing not knowing exactly I don't want to put anything out there that we know but all of a sudden for everything if you manage to lower it for whatever reason kicking the can down the road that you lower it to a four or five million dollar cap hit in that first year that's pretty significant so when Steve Kai met the media and said that he wants to bring back a number of his own star players and that in addition to that, the J.J. Watt signing does not preclude the Cardinals from pursuing other big name, big time free agents. Is that realistic, Kyle, you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you look at it now and, OK, they might it might look like they only have four or five million dollars of cap room. But if they release guys like a lot of the NFL has started to do, if they restructure contracts, if they extend certain players, we've talked about Chandler Jones uh, in past podcasts, if you give him an extension, that cap number comes down. So there's a lot of wiggle room and ways to change salary cap numbers. You can take a high paid guy right now, drop his base salary down, give him a signing bonus and push it down the road. So if you want to spend a lot of money for this season, you can. And there's a lot of different ways to get there. And maybe the Cardinals are looking at it like we've got Kyler Murray on a cheap deal. We feel like we are on the edge of competitiveness and contender status 
all these guys in the free agent market are going to be cheaper than a normal year because of the way the cap is shrinking. So let's go for it. And if they do that, I think there are definitely the means to make that happen. And we'll see exactly how aggressive they are. But if there's somebody the Cardinals want, I think JJ Watt's a great example. If his cap hit is $6 million, yeah, you're going to pay for it down the road and it's going to be more expensive in ensuing years. But for this year, in particular, he's not very expensive. And that's the way you can really add a lot of talent to this year's team. And, and let's make it clear, Paul, and I'm, I'm not trying to uh, uh, insult you in any way, shape, or form. But Sorry, I could take it. Definitely, time, wouldn't be, definitely wouldn't be the first time. Time did say he wanted to re-sign some of his own guys. Big name was never a phrase <laughs> he put in there. And I, and I think that's a, a kind, kind, quite frankly, I think that's crucial with, with the number of free agents they have left when he said, I want to sign, re-sign a number of our guys. That's a number of guys. I mean, you could sign 10 of the guys that are free agents and not touch Hassan Reddick and Larry Fitzgerald and Patrick Peterson. And there are still important players, uh, guys that you need on special teams and stuff, but who, who knows? So I, I'm, I'm curious to know where this goes, especially when you start talking about a Reddick or a Patrick Peterson in particular, Marcus Golden maybe, um, or what it might mean. And the other thing, and, and as, as Kyle was saying, you know, you don't know what the market is going to look like. And the next seven days, 10 days, uh, you're, we're going to see so many guys getting cut. The, the market is absolutely going to get flooded with people that are looking for contracts. And that's not just bad for the guys that get cut. I mean, that's too bad, but that, that also hurts anybody of your own that's going to become a free agent because there's going to be that many more people on the market. It's going to depress salaries. It just is because that's what was going to happen this year and it's going to naturally happen. And I think that's kind of where the Cardinals are right now. That's the other thing fans I think need to get their head around is I agree with Kyle that they are going to push their chips in here and do some moves so they can make a big move. Uh, in 2021. But the reality on the backside of that is they're going to have a ton. And I think a lot of teams will, they were going to have a ton of free agents again next year. And they're not necessarily going to be able to keep them all beyond one year because those guys are going to be able to go back out in the market and have a much grander place where they can sell their wares. Yeah, the big name guys might not be big money guys. That might be the harsh reality. At the same time, Kime didn't say just a guy. So, you know, hopefully I'm not remiss and, and, and maybe throwing that, you know, because well, that's what we're all he's wondering. Not, he's not saying just the guy. That, that would tend to insult, especially when you talk about your own right. guys. You're right. just a jag. That's right. What it was it, two years ago, we went with the hashtag, Kyle, TikTok, on the pending arrival of Kyler Murray. I think I need to bust that out again at this point, based on what we're hearing. To Darren's point, did you hear what Michael Bidwell also said on Sirius NFL Radio, quote, there's going to be a seismic shift in talent across the NFL. Teams projected to be well above and well under the cap. Lots of free agents think that they're going to get released. They're going to get paid, but they'll end up getting released, and there's going to be a lot of surprises here. We're going to see a big shift in talent moving around. There's going to be an opportunity for us, quote, end quote, from Michael Bidwell. So uh, is this truly a situation where, okay, that clock is ticking and, and there's going to be a day of reckoning coming real soon by March 17th. Yeah. I mean, I think we've, we've seen a lot of players. Desmond Trufant was one of the most recent guys to get released. I mean, he's a, a star cornerback where he was before his injuries. There's going to be a lot of big names and the way Michael Bidwell has been talking about it, the way Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury have been talking about it. Obviously they're well aware that, Teams have had a lot of success in this year two, year three, year four window of good rookie quarterbacks, and there's not time to waste. I mean, they have to go for it because Kyler Murray is going to get expensive as soon as next offseason. If they decide to give him a lucrative extension and if they don't start it after year four, that's all of a sudden going to start adding money to the 2022 cap, and we'll see exactly how they want to work that out. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do extensions. You can just wait like Jared Goff just did his rookie deal and then they, 
they added it on after that. Um, but you could start making Kyler Murray more expensive in year four after you do that extension. So we know he's going to be cheap this year. We'll see what happens moving forward. But I think clearly 2021 is a season where Kyler Murray is getting to the point where he's going to start getting close to his athletic prime. He's going to think understand things more mentally. He's going to continue to progress and you still have him for a good price. So I feel like it's just kind of the perfect meld of a, a quarterback that's ascending a team that has cap room and you're really going to push your chips in. Jared Goff hadn't even officially started his 100 plus million dollar contract extension and they traded him away. Yeah. And that is the Cardinals competitive advantage in the division right now. Guess what? Uh, the Rams are paying Matthew Stafford. Uh, the Niners have big money attached to Jimmy G, even though they can get out with less than a $4 million cap hit and keep your eye on the 49ers right now. Cause uh, we're hearing a few things about Sam Darnold, maybe going to the 49ers. We'll see about that. Russell Wilson, obviously with the Mondo contract, but something is afoot. When you see Joe Banner on Twitter and unlike all the current GMs and execs who are not allowed to say stuff like this, a former exec of the Eagles and Browns tweets out, and I quote, the league is about to go through four of the more interesting weeks ever. And all the conversation is still about quarterbacks. They matter a lot, but the rest of the story is going mostly untold. There is a lot going on behind the scenes. It's going to be a great opportunity for smart teams. Joe Banner. And I think that's exactly what Michael Bidwell is alluding to in his conversation, which really makes you wonder if this offseason is about to get real interesting, Darren. Yeah, I mean, I think it was always going to be interesting. I, I think it's coming into focus as we get closer. But I mean, this this is something that I've been anticipating and thinking about basically since last year when it was collectively bargained that there would be a salary cap floor at the time of $175 million going into this season. It's said the floor has since been raised to 180 and there's still a chance it could be 183 or whatever it might be. Uh, we still don't have a final cap number, which is an issue. Um, but this, this is the reality because the, the best players are still going to get their regular deals because they're the best players and there's nothing you can do about it. And um, there's so many teams that are underwater in terms of the cap um, that they're cutting players just to get somewhere close to the cap. I mean, the Cardinals before JJ Watt had whatever it was, 11, $12 million in cap space. And that put them near the top of the division. The, the 49ers were are right around 13 million. Uh, and the Seahawks hardly have any, and the Rams are well, over the cap at this point. So, you know, it's not like this division can do a whole lot without making some moves. And, and we've talked about this before. It's easy. It's relatively easy to make moves. It's relatively easy to do accounting uh, magic to make sure that you can get more cap room. It just means that somewhere down the road that it's going to hit your cap and you try and get to a point. Steve Kime talks about it all the time. He's looking at this from a three-year view. They are going to push their chips in. They are going to do stuff, but they'll never do it like the Saints have done, which has gotten them to the point where at one point they were going to be something like $75 million over the cap. Uh, now, again, cap dropped, but they were still going to be well over the cap because all they did is keep pushing money forward, pushing money forward, pushing money forward. The Cardinals are going to try and be somewhat smart about that to an extent. All right, so if they invest – big money, significant money, let's say, in a big name or established veteran, where? What position group, Kyle? What do you think? Give me, a, give me your power poll of most vital positions where you think the Cardinals are going to target. Uh, cornerback, to me, would be number one. I think that's obvious looking at where they stand without either outside corner exactly nailed down. Uh, wide receiver, is another one where I think they could go after one still kind of with limbo with Larry Fitzgerald. I don't know what you do if he comes back, if, if they still targeted number two and, and then, I mean, then you have four starting receivers and it gets a little bit murky at that point, how that all shakes out. Um, but I still think wide receiver is a natural one tight end as well. I mean, if you, if, if Larry comes back and you feel like you're going to run it back with Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins, maybe the way you add to those pass catchers is you get one of the better tight ends and, and put him in that mix. So I think all three of those positions, 
and then interior offensive line and, and maybe still edge rusher or in that mix, depending on what your plan is, what you want to do. But to me, corner and then some sort of pass catching option, whether it be wide receiver or a tight end would be my top two. Darren, your reaction to that? You know, I, I, I don't know how you could go with anything but cornerback right out of the box just because of, of the situation they're in and the unknowns. When you're talking about both your starters are going to be free agents, uh, not knowing what Patrick Peterson's uh, market might be. Uh, and just the, the fact that they haven't, the, the couple of cornerbacks they have, other than Byron Murphy, they've, they've tried to use some late round picks on cornerbacks and haven't really developed anything. Um, you know, the Kevin Peterson has been basically their most reliable number four cornerback the last couple of years because of Roger, Robert Alford's injuries. And with all due respect to Kevin Peterson, I'm sure they'd like to upgrade there. Um, so I, I think the Patrick Peterson thing is the most interesting now that J.J. Watt is here. Does that change his mindset? And what does his market look like by the time we get to March 17th? Because um, I do think he could still have a decent market, but there's supposed to be a lot of cornerbacks out there. I know pro football focus only has him as like the 13th best scheduled free agent to be. And that's before guys like Desmond Trufant are being released. Uh, and so again, it goes back to what we were talking about before. This market is going to be flooded in a lot of ways. How much does that impact every single individual player? It's going to be very, very interesting. I find it intriguing too, that when Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime have been asked recently on air about the future of Patrick Peterson, they tend to hit zoom out and then talk about veterans in general, having to realize the cap ramifications this year. And if you put one plus one together, uh, it sort of leads me to believe that Pat hasn't come to that reality yet, perhaps. And maybe he doesn't have to, maybe he hits the open market to Darren's point. And there is a team, all it takes is one that's going to give him an eight-figure salary that he's accustomed to. I'm just guessing, Kyle, the Cardinals aren't that team right now and that they'd love an answer to Pat P before March 17th. I don't think they're going to get it. I think there's a divide, and he's going to have to test the market to see it for himself. I think we always kind of felt like that would be the case. I mean, Patrick Peterson has this incredible resume from the past, all pro, eight-time pro bowler. I mean, he's done everything you want from a cornerback, and – He's saying, look at what I've done and look what I can still be. And then teams might say, okay, what are you going to be in the future? It's great that you've done that, but can you continue to play at that level? And I think that's an interesting conversation and one that they have to figure out whether there's a meeting spot in between both of those ideas, or if there is a team that thinks Patrick Peterson is a Pro Bowl cornerback, because if there's one team out there that thinks he has that within him, then they're going to give him a decent deal, especially a team that is on the brink of contention. I mean, if you can get a number one cornerback added to your group for a decent deal this offseason, that's a really good value. So I think a lot of it depends on how he is looked at across the league. Like, yeah, if you look at the PFF numbers and you think he's an average cornerback, then nobody's going to pay him. But PFF doesn't always tell the same story that team evaluations do. They look at it a lot differently. So we're going to know Patrick Peterson's market value pretty quickly. And I agree, over the next you know, 8, 10 days, I think we're going to have a good idea of exactly what Patrick Peterson thinks he's worth and then what he is worth and and whether that means coming back to the Cardinals or going somewhere else. I still have no idea, but it's certainly – to me now the most intriguing thing after the Watt signing where the Hassan Reddick is more on the back burner because they found another pass rusher. Now still what is going to happen at cornerback? Do you think Reddick Darren fits that same scenario where he's going to have to hit the open market too before the Cardinals even consider making an offer? Cause I'm guessing what he's expecting, what the Cardinals are willing to offer. There's a large gap right there. Well, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of school, but I, quite frankly, I, with those guys, Hassan Reddick, definitely, but with Patrick Peterson, you'd be dumb not to investigate the market. Now, the, the issue with every player, when you talk about because this has happened in the past in regular off seasons with a regular cap, um, is that sometimes the Cardinals say, look, this is going to be what we're offering, and 
if you don't want it, that's cool. But if we get to free agency, that offer might not be there because we might spend that money elsewhere, whether it's the money or fill that position. So that's the risk you're taking if you don't take it beforehand. Um, so that, that always could be part of this with, with anybody. Um, but when it comes to Redick, I mean, again, you only get to be a free agent so many times. And I think, as we said the other day, I think he's more likely than Patrick Peterson to take a one-year deal to cash in if, if the contract isn't here. But as we saw with Marcus Golden, that's what Marcus Golden did in New York and then had a 10-sack season, and he still never got the market he was expecting. So there's a risk there, too. Uh, I think Hassan Redick would flourish in a defense that uh, featured J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. Um but if he's not going to get paid like he wants to and somebody else is willing to do that, he's got to consider that. So, yeah, I do think like Patrick Peterson, he needs to test the market. I don't think he would close the door on coming back to the Cardinals, even if he did that. But usually if you get to the market and somebody wows you, that's that's it. It reminds me of the Calais when Calais left. And he desperately wanted to stay with the Cardinals so badly that he even called them after the, even though he knew they weren't going to go up to it. He called them back saying, this is what I'm being offered from Jacksonville. And he didn't say this, but in, in almost he was almost begging his agent to beg them to like make something work. And it just wasn't going to. And so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. If I remember that all access Calais video, because I was thinking of exactly that. Didn't the Cardinals come up a little bit to 12 per year? But then when Jacksonville hit 15 per year, yeah. Cardinals are like out. Yeah, it just that just it just wasn't happening. Well, and and to to clarify with the Clea stuff, because I still see fans kind of off and 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 first of all, he proved that he was worth that money through the four years, which just ended. So he he over he exceeded expectations. The Cardinals did not think Claus was done when they let him go. What they thought was he had two more really good years left in him, and they didn't want to pay for four years of really good years. And so that's what they were hesitant about. And that's what Jacksonville was willing to do. Now it turned out Campbell was worth it, but that's where they were going with it. They were trying to be smart for the long term and take the short term hit. Oh, and they were kind of hoping Robert Candici was going to turn into something, which he did not. So um, there, there, again, with all these free agents, there's a, there's a risk you take for letting a guy go. And there's a risk you take in JJ Watt and signing a guy. And I just read an article uh, by Michael Lombardi, the former front office guy, basically drilling the Cardinals for giving J.J. Watt way too much money for how old he is. And and again, if he doesn't perform, the Cardinals are going to get roasted. And if he does perform, they're going to look like geniuses. And we'll see where it lands. And then you have uh, a certain somebody who might not have his future known until after March 17th. Not that he's hitting the open market, but when Steve Kime was asked about Larry Fitzgerald, Kyle, and, and he said he didn't necessarily need an answer by the start of the league year, uh, that opened an eye for me. I, I wasn't expecting that response. Yeah, I mean, he might not necessarily need one. I think it would behoove Steve Kime to have an idea of what Larry Fitzgerald wants to do. And I mean, that, that was an answer in a press conference. So who knows about the behind the scenes machinations with that, but it's interesting from a team building standpoint, if, if you don't know what Larry Fitzgerald's going to do, how do you handle wide receiver in free agency? I mean, if you wanted to go after a number two, if he retires and you don't, if he's coming back, that's a pretty big deal. And you have to figure that out. Or maybe they say, Hey, Larry Fitzgerald future isn't as big of a deal because we want to sign a guy for the next three seasons. And he he's going to be here as part of our future, no matter what. So I think it depends on what the Cardinals are thinking internally. Um, but either way, I mean, having a resolution with Larry Fitzgerald before free agency, I think would be obviously the more optimal situation for Steve Kime. I do wonder a little bit that we're this far down the road. And then when he says it, he doesn't necessarily have to know, it makes me wonder how much they're willing to give him money wise. And it makes me wonder if maybe again, that's one of the things that Fitz is mulling is, okay, I get to play and I'm, I'm playing on a team that's pushing its chips in desperately for this run this year. But to do all that and be a part of it, I'm going to have to take $5 million or something drastically lower than what he's ever made. And maybe that's part of the reason he's thinking about it. Who knows? I mean, this is all speculation here, but 
it's it, it's fairly all on the table at this point as we wait. Now, uh, as you guys know, I've never been a highly sought after and highly marketable pro athlete. Uh, but I'm wondering, <laughs> even if he takes a serious haircut, not literally, but financially, and let's say he goes down from 11 million plus to 5 million per year, that still enables him to keep his platform for all the marketing deals, right? I mean, it's much different to be a current active player than a retired player. So when he has deals with some of those mega corporations that are, include national advertising, uh, you know, to be a current player in his 18th season and to be active on, on game day, I think is a much different level of appeal for those companies to continue to you know, employ him as an endorser, right? And to represent their brand. So uh, that's just me. Um, you know, your, your salary might be one thing, but, you know, there's a lot more to the, the Fitz revenue streams than just his 17 paychecks, right, that he gets every year from the Cardinals. Yeah, until you figure out that he's such a good businessman that he's going to make more money off the field next year because he's going to be in all these different projects and he's going to be announcing this and doing this commercial and stuff. So who knows what's more lucrative for him. But, yeah, I mean, making $5 million is – five million more than he wouldn't be making if he didn't play. Um, but he has a lot of money and maybe that's the big driving force. Maybe it's not. And maybe he feels like I will only play for a certain amount. Who, who knows how much the money has to do with it, but I don't know. I just feel like if anybody gives me $5 million, I'll, I'll go play football. No one's giving you $5 million. And, you know, he'll, he'll just flip another paradise Valley house for, you know, three times. Yeah, exactly. You know, he just, he just do, do real estate. Right, he'll have more time just to flip houses or, uh, you know, buy more stakes in NBA franchises. If you saw the, the Forbes uh, team valuations of the NBA, I'm sure Larry's made a good 20% on yeah. that investment already. So, you know, uh, all I know is Cliff Kingsbury told, he, he looked straight in the camera via the Zoom presser and said, quote, I don't know anything when asked about the future of Larry Fitzgerald and then proceeded to say, I hope he plays five more years. Which I think he said every single time it's ever been brought up. Yes. Yes. It does make me wonder, though. I will say this, and, and and you know, I'm not, I'm not. This isn't sweet smart. I'm not trying to be all sensational here, okay? Or, or buck for a job with TMZ. But if he was waiting and he got his answer on the JJ Watt, is he waiting for something else? Dot dot dot. Is there something else that might just unfold that might be a mega headline that he's waiting to see, will this transpire? And now I'm really in because guess what? The Arizona Cardinals are able to make this move. I wonder if he is waiting on something else because everything else has to be known at this point. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Right? Everything has to be known at this point. What's left except maybe a roster maneuver? Okay, but wait a minute. Are you saying, are you bringing up something in particular, a certain move, or are you just saying another big move? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not naming names. I'm not projecting. Okay. I'm not. I'm just but, saying but a big move. I feel like, and and can we go to the tape here? I feel like you said the exact same thing when we were talking about Fitz like two weeks ago, and said maybe he's waiting for a roster move, and then they just signed JG Watt. So so it materialized. Now, right. now he's waiting for another one. Like are you just gonna? They're gonna keep signing guys. You know, like maybe he's waiting for another one, and until they have like forty-two signings here. Well, Darren, that's what I'm saying is Michael Bidwell gave sort of a cryptic response on satellite radio about what potentially could happen over the next two weeks in the start of the league year. And so it does make me wonder, and maybe Larry, uh, you know, is a catalyst like we threw out there earlier. Maybe Larry's continuing to work the cell phone and the contact list. And uh, who knows what sort of a super team he might be trying to build at this point. He is going to play for the minimum, isn't he? Oh, maybe he'll take a percentage of all these other guys' contracts that he helps recruit. <laughs> he's going to be their agent. Right. You know, it's somehow, you know, he's got to wet his beak a little bit. You know, there's got to be something in there for him, right? You know, mafia style. He's, he's, he's orchestrating this behind the scenes. This is definitely taken longer than I figured it would. I mean, now that we're into March and there's still no decision, but it's certainly just opening up Paul Calvisi for the conspiracy theory talk and looking at all these different ways to, to dissect what Larry Fitzgerald's going to do. I feel like he has a pretty good idea one way or the other at this point. And 
like he said on the press conference, maybe he's just not announcing it to make Steve Kime sweat, to make Paul Calvisi sweat. He's probably just toying with everybody. And, and like the day before free agency, he'll just put it out there, a, a fax like Michael Jordan, I'm back or I'm retired. You know, conspiracy theory. Come on now. That's a, you know, it's not like I'm sitting here with a fur hat with horns on it, you know, you know <laughs> in, in, in breaching the Capitol. Come on now. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's, there's legitimate reasoning behind rationale behind what i'm trying to surmise here everything is known you would think what is he waiting for that's all i don't know yeah all right but i don't think i don't think like if they go sign a certain one player i don't feel like that would tip the scales i don't i don't think i think you either i mean you have the quarterback you either believe that kyler murray and kind of this the system, the way the team is tracking has championship potential or you don't. And they're, they're, I mean, they could add a big piece, but a number two wide receiver or a cornerback, is that necessarily going to like raise your expectations that much? Now, if they, if they're able to sign three pro bowlers and they absolutely go for broke for one season, then maybe that's more enticing. But like Darren talked about earlier, Steve Kime is the one worrying about not only this season, but the future too. So yeah, if it's up to Larry, they could just pile everything in this season and go for it. But you still have to think about the future. Okay, what what would be the most intriguing name? And and we're just spitballing here, but I have one in particular. Okay, let's say they somehow, and I don't think he's going to leave Tampa, but let's say they somehow sign Chris Godwin. Oh. Oh. What about Allen Robinson? What about – Okay, right? Allen Robinson. I don't care. A, a high-brow wide receiver. Let's say they yeah. sign one of them. Okay. What's Larry going to do? Okay, maybe they sign a guy that makes them better, but then he's squeezed out, is he not? Okay, you guys are going to make me say it. You're going to make me say it. I didn't want to say it. Uh, and, and this is going to bring Cardinals Underground to a screeching halt. But if we're in the trust tree right now and we're truly just, quote, spitballing, as Darren says. <laughs> I know where you're going with this because I saw it on your face when you brought it up originally. Go ahead. What if a Texas guy I knew it goes to the Texans? What if Houston I knew it? Because how did we start this edition of Cardinals Underground? The big things happen in threes. DeAndre Hopkins, JJ Watt, and you know who when it comes to a certain quarterback who currently plays for the Houston Texans but says he'll never play again for the Houston Texans. And if they're forced to make a deal, what do they do for a future quarterback? Then maybe trade for a Texas guy. You made me say it. I'm not happy with myself. I'm certainly not proud of myself. We don't want to get in trouble either. Look, bottom line is, bottom line is, I I just feel like, I I think we talked about this before, and I think ultimately we're all on the same page in this. I think think Larry's waiting because he can wait. Uh, it's the same reason. <laughs> it's the same reason that when you have a sit-down interview with Larry Fitzgerald, you are offering waiting another hour or two while he kind of takes his time and moseys over. And when he finally gets there, he's like, "Hey, how you guys doing? Hope I didn't make you wait too long." And you know, it's one of those things. I mean, yeah. I, I think Larry has a good idea of what he wants to do. I do think Watt could make a difference, but I think I also think, quite frankly, that if he came back now while J.J. Watt was an important part of it because it shows something, I think not being able to play in front of fans or not being able to play in his final game would mean would make more of an impact if he came back than otherwise. And that's, and that's all I got to say about yeah. that. And you know what? That's a great point. You know, if Larry's looking uh, for some value-added advice from us media pencil necks, may I just throw out there what Darren hinted at? But once again, I guess I'm forced to say it. Hey, Larry, is there any chance you could hold your media availability at the beginning of the window? Okay, there's like an hour that we're allowed in there. Because what happens is, is the moment the locker room opens, we rush over to your locker to get position. I'm sitting there trying to box out Craig Grealou and Cam from Channel 12. And, you know, and I got Richard Signs over here and I'm giving these, you know, these pointed elbows and I'm trying to hold my spot with my microphone. Meantime, we wait the entirety of the media availability and I miss any interviews with anybody else who's available in the locker room and they know it and they're hanging at their locker, just smiling because they know nobody's willing to leave Larry's locker and lose their spot. So, you know, going forward, if we can make that slight adjustment, I think we'd all appreciate that. Am I wrong, Kyle? 
That's the joy of being a writer where you can be talking to somebody and then the minute Larry Fitzgerald starts talking, I just sidle over, go on the side and, and stick the recorder in. I, I can't really hear anything what's going on or any questions or responses because Larry Fitzgerald talks quietly. Uh, but then you kind of hear every once in a while a few words and you play it back on your recorder and you got your interview and you also talk to uh, Jalen Thompson across the, the locker room for five minutes. So it's it's a win-win for writers. Well, if Larry was listening to my whining right now, he'd say two words, champagne problems. Yes. Yeah. And yes, he'd be he right. He would be right. And I will end it right there with some <laughs> whining from Pauly Pencilneck on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.